Good morning, church. Uh, I am Mart. I've been attending TCC for almost nine years. This is my second son, Kenoli. And then my oldest one is not here with me. He's out of the country for the moment. And my daughter, she was supposed to be here, but I don't know. <laughs> so that's why I was just looking at the back all the time, but I don't know. Maybe she's at the back. I don't know. Or she didn't come. So we're going to read from the book of First John, chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. And on the same book, chapter 5, verse 4 to verse 7. So I'll read from the New International Version. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and, they, and then they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The word of the Lord.
Thank you so much. I smile every time I see this beautiful family because many, many years ago, Tobit and Cannoli, they were about this big. They showed up at soccer camp and, uh, you know, of obvious African descent. And all of a sudden, I overhear them speaking Mandarin to some of those that were uh, from Asia. And I was just scratching my head, and I'm like, how is this possible? And uh, that is because their dad, Paul, uh, works in mainland China. And, um, uh, and so they grew up in, in China speaking Mandarin. And then uh, when they moved here and kind of settled here for school and that, uh, the challenge is, and I say this because I want to invite you to pray for this family too, because Paul still works in mainland China and he's there for months on end and then he'll come back for a few weeks and then he'll return. And so it's a, it's a real challenge. Um, but we, we love you guys and uh, thanks for reading scripture this morning. Well, here we go again, <clears throat> another message on love. I was kind of smiling to myself because uh, when Jenna preached a couple of weeks ago, she said there would be eye rolls because there was a, another sermon on love. And so the temptation today might be just to tune out altogether. But before we dismiss this, I want us to just consider maybe why does John return to this subject again and again and again, it seems. Could it be because it's really, really important? After all, it was John who quoted Jesus as saying, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples <clears throat> if you love one another. Excuse me. <clears throat> It's John who's been described as the apostle of love, and for good reason. In fact, an ancient tradition says that when John was an old man, the elders in Ephesus would carry him to the worship gathering and set him, on a, set him down to teach. And John would simply look at the people that are gathered there and just say, Dear children, let us love one another. Now the fact is, love understanding what it is, why it is so important, and how to live a life of love is critical to our walking as Jesus walked. And in our culture that, that speaks a lot about love, but usually misses the point entirely, living a life of true love can really make a difference. So, with all due respect to the late Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? In a word, everything. In fact, that song was Tina Turner's only solo number one hit in the U.S. in 1984. And the song, like so many other pop and rock hits, expresses some of the confusion that our culture has about love. The song asks, in the context of a relationship, right, what's love got to do with it, got to do with it? But then asks a follow-up question. What's love but a secondhand emotion? Just a throwaway feeling. Now, it turns out that there were actually a lot of number one songs in the 80s about love. Um, I don't know if you like 80s music as much as I do. Um, I, I shudder to ask the question, who likes 80s music? <laughs> who even remembers 80s music? Some of you weren't even alive in the 90s. Well, it began in 1980 with Queen singing about 
a crazy little thing called love. Diana Ross and Lionel Richie followed with an ode to endless love. REO Speedwagon, see this is striking a chord with some of you, right? Because you remember these things. REO Speedwagon promised, what, to keep on loving you. Joan Jett announced, I love rock and roll. Stevie Wonder raised the possibility of having a part-time lover. Huey Lewis and the News reminded us of, what, the power of love. And there were a half dozen more that I'll spare you. But the song played more than any of them, nearly even 30 years later, is I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Do you remember the chorus? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Now, perhaps this song is actually expressing a truth. People do, in fact, want to know what love is. And they do want to see it and feel it and experience it. And so we talk about it and sing about it and spend maybe the better part of our lives chasing it. But what exactly is love? Well, John, in the verses that were read for us this morning, not only clearly commands us to love one another, he also helps us by defining and describing love for us. So yes, one more time. We're going to look at what John says about love so that we can love like Jesus did. And so the first point I want to make is just this, the source of love. Where does love come from? John very clearly expresses a source of love when he writes in verse 7, right at the front, he says, dear friends, and as as every time we've come across this phrase, dear friends or dear children, I've commented on how this just reflects his warm pastoral heart. It's kind of Grandpa John, and he's just, you know, lovingly expressing these truths to those that were um, in, in his congregation. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another. Okay, so there's the command. I don't need to say much more about it, but that is, that is what it's all about. Let us love one another. Why? He goes on to say, for love comes from God. It comes from God. And he goes, he says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Again, because God is love. So very clearly, he's just saying love comes from God. The origin of love is God. God is love. Notice he didn't say, uh, sorry, did I say, I meant to say it the other way around because I'm making a point about that. God is love, and he doesn't say love is God. Right? He begins with God. Also notice that he doesn't say God is loving, as if love is just one of his, you know, many attributes and activities. But he just simply declares God is love. His very essence and the nature of who God is, is love. And every other aspect of God, his wisdom and his justice and his mercy and his goodness, is ultimately an expression of his love. John says, everyone who loves then has been born of God and knows God. Now, that's quite a statement. It's one that you can easily just sort of gloss over. But 
John is saying that if we have been born of God, that is that we have come to faith in Jesus, we can't help but love. Because it's in our DNA. Because it's in God's DNA. It's who we are. We just simply can't help but love. And not only are we adopted into God's family and then given the status of sons and daughters, but at the same time, we're regenerated and given the very nature of a child of God. He changes us. He transforms us to being a child of God. And so, when we love, we make God known to each other and to the world. And so love then is who we are but it's also who we are becoming. It's who we're becoming. You see, Paul in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, talks about the fruit of the Spirit and how, how it, is the, it is the work of the Spirit to transform us. And the evidences of the work is ultimately found in what? Love. And of course, there's joy and peace and patience and kindness and following But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so this is a work of the Spirit of God in his children. And John says that not only are we born of God, we also know God. So as we get to know God, as we get to know his heart, and we see the character of Jesus, we are continually being shaped into his image. There's a a little line at the end of verse 17 that I like. It just says, in this world, we are like Jesus. We aren't Jesus, but we're like Jesus. We're being formed into his image. And the point John is making is that followers of Jesus who live out this command to love one another are giving evidence ultimately that they have been born of God and that they know him. And John even makes this point from the negative in verse 8. He says then, whoever does not love does not know God. So if you don't know God... We shouldn't be surprised that we're selfish and that there isn't love. Why? Again, because God is love. Those three words, if you take nothing else away today, just remember those three words and maybe say it over to yourself again and again and again. God is love. Because in those simple three words, they capture the most comprehensive affirmation about the nature of God. John even repeats it in verse 16. And and in saying this, John is not identifying a quality with, with which God possesses, but he's actually declaring the reality, the essence of who God is. Now, I could say so much more about God is love. It's really almost an inexhaustible subject, isn't it? I I love how the hymn writer expresses it in the hymn, The Love of God, and in particular, verse 3. It's a beautiful word picture. Follow this along in your own mind and use your imagination to, to understand what the writer is getting at. He says, could we with ink the ocean fill? Okay, so all the oceans of the world, all the water has been replaced with ink. And were the skies of parchment made... Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every one a scribe by trade. Do you see where he's going with this? Every one of us, every human being, given a quill to dip into that ocean of ink, to write on the skies above about the love of God, 
And then he says this, he says, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Friends, God is the source of love. And Jesus, then, is the demonstration of this love. Look at verses 9 to 11. If you have your Bibles, follow along. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so John not only reminds us about this abstract truth that God is love, he also reminds us about the rock-solid truth about Jesus. We don't have to wonder what God's love is like. God literally revealed or he, he showed or maybe your translation says he unveiled his love through the person of Jesus. And God took the initiative, not us, right? Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now that verse echoes Romans Chapter 5 and verse 8, right? But God demonstrates or he shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so back in chapter 3 of 1 John and verse 16, John wrote, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so once again, we are reminded that the reason Jesus died was so that the penalty for our sins might be covered. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we have this atoning sacrifice. And the Greek word used describes an act of removing an offense which repairs the relationship with God. The theological word for this, are you ready? In fact, some of your Bibles might actually use this word. It's propitiation. It's a big word. We probably hardly ever used it. Maybe you've never heard it before. But it means simply that the wrath of God is averted by the offering of a sacrifice. And the Greek, um, sorry, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he took on himself, in fact, what we deserved. It was an atoning sacrifice. He made up, if you will, for, for our sins. And he took on himself what we deserved. And it was through this action that Jesus demonstrated his love for us. You see, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And since Jesus showed us this self-sacrificial love, that this is how God loved us, he says, we too should love one another. And so it's the motivation, if you will, Because God, who is love, he still loves. And today, his love is ultimately seen in our love for one another. And that's what he's saying in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
And so the question, like, how can the invisible God become visible? Well, simply through the lives of his children as they love one another. Now, you know that our culture has all sorts of definitions of love, right? As it's often portrayed in pop music or movies or whatever. Often it is very sexual in nature or it's held up like, you know, like if you love me, I'll love you in response. We kind of love one another. <clears throat> but when you really strip it back, it's, it's a selfish love. And the love that God demonstrated for us is a sacrificial love. James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, he, he tells the story of Brennan Manning. He's an author and speaker, an evangelical Roman Catholic priest. Maybe you've read some of his books. And he has an amazing story of how he actually got his name Brennan. His real name was, in fact, Richard Manning. And while growing up, his best friend was Ray. The two of them did everything together. They, they bought a car together as teenagers. They double dated together. They, they went to school together and so forth. And they even enlisted in the army together. And they went to boot camp together. And they fought on the front lines together. And one night while sitting in a foxhole, Richard was reminiscing about the old days in Brooklyn while Ray listened and ate a chocolate bar. And suddenly a live grenade came into the foxhole. Ray looked at Richard, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on the live grenade. It, of course, exploded, killing Ray, but Richard's life was spared. When Richard eventually became a priest, he was instructed to take on the name of a saint. And he thought of his friend Ray Brennan. And so he took on the name Brennan. Now years later, he went to visit Ray's mother in Brooklyn. They sat up late one night having tea when Brennan asked her, Do you think Ray loved me? And Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch, <laughs> shook her finger in Brennan's face and shouted, What more could he have done for you? And Brennan says that at that moment, he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus, wondering the same. Does God really love me? And Jesus' mother, Mary, pointing to her son, saying, What more could he have done for you? You see, the cross of Jesus is God's way of doing all he could do for us. And yet, we often wonder, does God really love me? Am I important to God? Does God even care about me? I don't see or sense his activity in my life. But John is answering those questions for us. Because if we know with absolute certainty that God sent his son Jesus to reveal to us his love, he in essence threw himself on the grenade. He took the full force of sin and death to show us that he loves us. This is love in action. This is sacrificial love. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we then show this sacrificial love to others? How do we love like Jesus? Now, it's unlikely that 
we would have to give up of our lives. So what do we have to give? Now, each one of us, I think, have three primary resources, these three categories of time, talents, and treasure. And so if we think about how we might love other people, we can look at it through that framework. So we love God by, first of all, giving up our time. Now, you think about your time, time is a precious commodity. We're busy people, we're doing good and enjoyable things, at least most of the time, right? We have kids and we have friends and we have family and we invest in them and that's all good. But in order to love others, we are at times asked to give up some of our time in order to serve others. So loving others can be as simple as really listening. Asking the question, how are you? And then paying attention to the answer. Or offering to help maybe a coworker with a project or making fresh coffee at work or cleaning the staff kitchen. Or imagine this, when driving, actually letting someone get in ahead of you. Now these aren't life-changing things. But maybe, just maybe, they'll help us change into people who give of ourselves for the good of others. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can tend to be very selfish with our time. And giving it up for the good of others can, in fact, be a sacrifice. And so we show sacrificial love by giving up our time and secondly, giving up our talents. Each of us have gifts and abilities. There are things that, that we're really good at. Most of us use them for our work. But we shouldn't just use our talents to make an income. We can use it to love our brothers and sisters. Or we find intentional ways of serving one another. You know, even as Colin and John shared about the work of of Refugee Bridge. It's this beautiful partnership that we have as a church with Refugee Bridge. They're passionate about helping people in danger and rescuing them. And then we have people in our church who are passionate about that same thing. And so they come alongside and they say, how can I help? And I've seen people, I've said, like, I, I review resumes for a living. I'm really good at writing resumes. So can I help write resumes for some of the refugees? I'm just really good administratively. And I can organize things. I'm good financially. I can help with budgets. And so you take your gifts and you get involved in some way. And it's not just in refugee ministry. There's lots of other things, even when you think about our church ministry as a whole. Can I ask you? Everyone should be able to answer this question. Where are you serving at TCC? What is your contribution? Certainly it takes a sacrifice of time. That's a given because you're going to give up some time. You're going to maybe come early or stay late or be here during the week or whatever it is. But, but how are you involved? How are you using your talents? First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. I don't even need to explain that, do I? Whatever gift you've been given... Use it to serve others. If love is giving of ourselves for the good of others, then 
Love means giving our time and talent and energy to and for one another. So when you do a simple thing like take home a bag of tablecloths, you serve one another by not making someone else do that because you know they need to be washed. And sometimes I see young families and I'm like, man, they probably got the washer and dryer going 24-7 as it is and they're still taking another bag of tablecloths home. And I know some of you do that and it's awesome and we're grateful for it. But you can love one another when you sign up to help with setup. Show up at 8 o'clock. These chairs don't just mis- miraculously you know, unstack themselves and have some order and the tables back there and all of that. You just say, hey, like, yeah, I could do that. I could show up at the church at 8 for 45 minutes to an hour and help out with that. Or when you step up and serve in children's ministry and you sit down with a group of children upstairs and you ask them how their week was and you help them understand a Bible story, guess what? It's an act of love. Or you come early to prepare brunch or you lead or host a small group. I know it's summertime, um, but there's still most of what we do happening on and on. And it was interesting talking to to Jenna, who's our director of family ministries. They're like, you know, we thought that, you know, we could just maybe hire a little bit of help and we'll restructure the way we do things on a Sunday morning. And, um, you know, our attendance will be down. And guess what? They had over 100 kids last week upstairs in children's ministry. And so instead of thinking, well, maybe I'm going to take the summer off, maybe it's to say, you know what, I've never helped in children's ministry, but maybe there's a place for me to love this community by contributing my time and my talents in that way. My encouragement to each of us is to especially as you think about the fall, if you're like, TCC is my home church. This is my family. I'm going to love my brothers and sisters. And so where will I serve? In what ways are we given of ourselves so that our brothers and sisters here at TCC are loved? And so many of you are, and we're so grateful for that. We think about how many people are involved in putting together brunch and all of those kind of things, but it's something that we all enjoy most weeks. And one of my fears is simply that as we grow, it's easy to just sit back and say, oh, sure, look at all the people around us. Somebody's going to do that. And guess what? When everybody thinks somebody's going to do something, what happens? Nobody does it. So pray about that. Where will you find yourself contributing as we head into the fall? Thirdly, we can show sacrificial love by giving up our treasure. This is giving up our stuff. Simply giving financially to help others. And we have demonstrated our love for the John family by donating furniture in the past and some clothing and finances. That's there. But even as they settle, it's like, oh, this kind of need comes up. And so I expressed in our weekly email that, you know, it would be great to have bikes for the family. They don't have a car yet. And so they need some form of transportation. You got an extra bike kicking around? Or maybe you've got some money to go buy a new bike. We give up our treasure. We show love for one another. But loving through our finances isn't limited to helping settle refugees. Sometimes there's other needs, practical needs. And we talk about our benevolent fund that we can come alongside and help people who have a financial need in in a variety of ways. 
And so speaking very practically, we actually demonstrate our love for one another and for our church through our giving. You see, loving others will cost us something. That's just goes with the territory. And it may cost you time, it may cost you financially, but look at what John says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Not, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of gratitude, out of being thankful for what God has done for us, how he has loved us, therefore I will love others in turn. And so I just say, pray and ask God to show you where and how you can love others. Because when we love, we reveal that love through our actions, just like Jesus. And so just even as we sang this morning, that that song, Build My Life, I often see that as almost like a theme song or a, yeah, like a, for, for our church, right? And it's just this beautiful prayer. And I pray that you would pray this prayer. Show me who you are. God, show me who you are. And maybe today the answer is just, again, that reminder and again and again and again. God is love. And then he goes, fill me with your heart. That's a prayer. Fill me with your heart of love. And then ultimately lead me to those around me. Do you pray about who you might connect with at brunch? Can I encourage you to try that? And just trust that, you know, there's going to be some connection that's made and a story is shared. There's some vulnerability. I mean, there's a lot of people that are experiencing, you know, high highs and obviously sometimes low lows. And they're sitting next to you and around you. Lead me to those around you. Well, there's the source of love is God. The demonstration of love is Jesus. And then there's the affirmation of love through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. You see, we know that we are in Christ because he has given us his spirit. And John actually said the same thing earlier in chapter 3 and verse 24. He says, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And so it's the presence of God's spirit in our life that is affirming his love in our lives. And John continues in these later verses of chapter 4 to make this point clear about God's love for us and our love for others. And simply put, though without the enabling of the Holy Spirit, it's absolutely impossible to love the way God would have us love. Because we can love with wrong motivations. We might even love out of fear. Or we love because we're afraid that we might lose God's love somehow. And that we have to earn it. In verse 18 he says, there is no fear in love. It's not something to be afraid of. But perfect love actually drives out fear. It casts it out because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is actually not made perfect in love. And so our obligation to love one another is ultimately then a byproduct of God's loving generosity towards us. When we love others, it's simply a reflection of God's love for us. And verse 19 again says, we love because he first loved us. And so we don't love so that God will love us. We love 
because God has already loved us. Well, as we come now into chapter 5, I conclude with this, and I just, I wasn't quite sure how to use it. I said, how to be an overcomer. And I introduced this thought last week uh, in the message that John throughout uses three tests. And um, here in these first four verses of chapter five, actually all three are front and center. And so I think it's a good place for us to end this morning. You see, these tests that recur throughout the letter help us to be certain and assured of our relationship with Jesus. Anyone who claims, he says, to be a Christian can ultimately examine themselves using these three tests. And so there's the test, first of all, of true belief or the theological test. Verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is is, is the Christ is born of God. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And so the question simply is, do I believe the truth about who Jesus is? Do I believe what is true and do I truly believe it? And John uses the word, usually translated believe, 98 times in the Gospel of John and then again and again in 1 John. And it's usually translated believe, but sometimes it means trust or commitment. And so belief is not just agreeing with an idea. It usually means a complete commitment to something. And so John is making it very clear that everyone who believes or trusts in or commits to Jesus Christ becomes a child of God. They are born of God, as John puts it. This is this second birth. And as John is talking about a spiritual birth, a second birth. So a true follower of Jesus is one who trusts in and relies on and is committed to Christ himself. Then there's the second test, the test of true love or the the social relational test. This is chapter 5 and verse 2. And he says, and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. He goes on, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. And so when we commit ourselves to following Jesus, we actually commit to loving him. And whoever believes also loves the Father and loves his other children. So you see, John is just providing this excellent summary of what we've been talking about all morning here in these last few verses. So how do you love? When we say we love and follow God, we're also then committing to loving others. Love for others is ultimately a sign that we have committed ourselves to loving Jesus. And so when we give ourselves to Jesus, our first priority is to love him and then he will help us love others. It's true in every circle that you find yourself, whether it's within the context of church, whether it's in the context of family, whether it's in the context of work. Do we love one another? That's how we express our love for God. And finally, verse 3, the test of true obedience or the moral test. Verse 3 now, in fact, this is love for God. You want to know how to love God? Here it is, guys. Really simple. To keep his commands. To keep his commands. So when we say that we love Jesus, or, or sorry, you know, we can say that we love Jesus all that we want. But the true test of that love is actually, do we obey him? 
in the way that I live my life, am I following his commands in obedience? Is it the desire of my heart and the activity of my life in alignment with his word? And maybe John anticipates a little bit of pushback from his readers. It's like, oh man, it is so hard to obey Jesus and his word. And so he says, listen, his commands aren't burdensome. This isn't heavy. Challenging, yes, but not a burden. And so then let's not miss verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And so when you and I say yes to Jesus, we should be aware that we actually are entering into a battle. And it can be hard and challenging to live the Christian life. But John calls us already here overcomers. Not because of our own strength or our smarts, right? We can't outwit our enemy, but we have the very presence and power of God living within us. And because of him, he says we're overcomers. So remember these three words this morning. Words that you'll find throughout the entire letter. Believe. What do you believe about Jesus? Love. How am I loving him and others? And obey. How am I following his commands? So quite simply, this is how we live with and for Jesus, right? It's simple, it's straightforward, but it's never easy. And we can't do it on our own. So we trust the Savior, we trust the Spirit to do his work in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity with which your word speaks. And as we've been studying these words, and even as we are quickly coming to a close in this study, we have been confronted sometimes with just some really direct, clear, sometimes hard and uncomfortable teaching. But God, you, I believe that you're using this to as we've been saying along, just give us certainty, to give us assurance when our world seems like it's... And so, God, we pray that you do a good work in us and through us. And that as we our faith in Jesus, we put our trust in God as we express our love to him and to others, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that we are your children, born of you, sons and daughters of the King. So give us that assurance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.